Welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, episode number 113, where we go back, back to, to the, the past, past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and by sending in four Fago soda proof of purchases with a self-addressed stamped envelope. Uh, this Ooh. title was suggested by Toby Hagen at... Toby Hagen, part of the <laughs> that's his that's his uh, Twitter handle. That's his handle. Yep. Uh, part of the Red on You podcast team, and he wanted us to read Insane Clown Posse Halls of Illusion number one, uh, cover date June two thousand two, published by Chaos Comics, written by Jesse McCann from a story by Jump Steady, illustrated by Gerardo Sandoval, inked by Ulysses Grostica. Colored by Color Graphics, lettered by Comic Crafts Jimmy Betancourt, standard cover by Sandoval Grostica and Color Graphics, and premium covers by Jerry Beck, Sandu Floria, uh, Color Graphics, Mike Flippin, and uh, the book was edited by Mike Francis. Graphic design by Mike Flippin, cover price $2.99 USD, $4.75 Canadian. Yeah, let's meet some of these fellows here. We got uh, Jesse Leon McCann, born 1955. He attended Hawthorne High School in Hawthorne, California. Studied theater at El Camino College. Worked for customer service at Diamond Distributors. He began writing for DC Comics, Animaniacs, and Pinky and the Brain uh, comic books back in 1996. He would start writing for Chaos Comics in 1997 when he contributed to Nightmare Theater Number 3. That was November of that year. And uh, that was uh, more or less his career up to the time of the comic we're about to read today. He wrote Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, and various Insane Clown Posse comics through the 21st century. More important, more recently, I'm sorry, he written for DC Comics' current crop of all-ages-friendly books, as well as some titles for Bongo Comics. Those are the uh, Simpsons folks, of course. Right. Yeah, I think he's done some of the Looney Tunes crossovers, or definitely some Looney Tunes books. He's he's in the mix in the world. Sure. Uh, across the table, we have Gerardo Sandoval. He's a Mexican-born graphic designer and illustrator. Started working in comics with Top Cow's Tomb Raider in 1999, which was a very... High-selling book, remember? Uh, It was, it was. Began contributing covers and then interiors to Chaos Comics titles beginning in 2001. And hey, this comic came out right around then. Uh, (laughs) More recently, Sandoval has done a lot of work for Marvel, including respectable runs on Guardians, New Avengers, and he's currently the artist on Shatterstar. Check him out at Gerardo-Sandoval.com. Now uh, we're going to give you a little background on the insane clown posse. Uh, Joseph Bruce, otherwise known as Violent J, and Joseph Ulster, Utzler, otherwise known as Shaggy Two Dope, met in Oak Park, a suburb on the north border of Detroit, Michigan. Along with uh, Shaggy Two Dope's brother John and friend Lacey, they engage in backyard wrestling and listen to hip-hop music of the day. In 1989, Violent J as Jagged Joe, Shaggy Two Dope as Kangol Joe, and John Utzler as Master J released the single Party at the Top of the Hill under the name of JJ Boys, <laughs> but the group, hmm. not a great name. Uh, the group did not pursue a career <laughs> in music at that time. Due to a bad home situation and general poverty, a Violent J had to move away, and with uh, a friend on the other side of Detroit in a town called River Rouge. 
Violent J formed a, a gang called uh, Inner City Posse, which was comprised of Shaggy Two Dope, Rudy Hill, like that was the fellow he was staying with, and other people he'd met around River Rouge. Violent J would be jailed for 90 days in 1989 for violating probation, robbery, and making death threats. It was then he decided to curtail his gang activities. Upon release, Violent J began his professional wrestling career, and it was at his first show that he met Rob Van Dam and Sabu. Uh, they would later go on to become rather well-known wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, he also took Shaggy Tudo backstage with him at these events, and all four would become good friends. Uh, quickly becoming disgusted with the politics of the wrestling biz, Violent J went looking for a new angle. He began performing hip-hop with the former members of the J.J. Boys, uh, now using the names Violent J and Shaggy Tudope. Uh, John Ulster would uh, call himself John Kick Jazz. Okay. At this time, uh, they were still named the Inner City Posse. The group got a manager in, a record, st- in record store owner Alex Abyss, who established the Psychopathic Records label uh, with the group in 1991. Later that year, the group released a self-produced EP titled Dog Beats. Uh, This record did not get widespread release Violent J had hoped for, and uh, radio stations were reluctant to play music from it because of the extreme content. Now, around this time, Violent J befriended Detroit rapper Esham and passed him his EP. Esham uses a style called horrorcore or acid rap, which is outrageously violent and contains dark, explicit themes. The artists performed and collaborated together in 2009 when Esham had a falling out with Violent J. This group determined that their lack of success was because they were indistinguishable from all the other hip-hop out there. Taking a page from Esham's style, they created something new. Violent comedic raps with no satanic themes, with that Esham had no problem with the Satanism. At this time, Violent J changed the group's name to Insane Clown Posse, and they adopted that well-known face painting with which they are most associated. Their second album, Carnival of Carnage, was released on October 18, 1992. John Kickjazz left the group two weeks before its release. Featuring cameos by Kid Rock and Esham, it had a wider release than Dog Beats EP, a distribution within 120-mile radius of Detroit. So, a little bit, right? Every little bit sure. counts. Uh, music review- reviewer Stephen Thomas Erlewine compared the album to a third-rate Beastie Boys supported by a cut-rate Faith No More, all tempered with the sensibility that made Guar cult heroes, only with more sexism and jokes that wind up sounding racist. Hmm. Uh, an, EP, an EP released the following year, Beverly Kills 50187, fared better and continued building a fan base for the group. This release features the only appearance of member Greasy, uh, or Greasy E, one of those. Uh, he, <laughs> he was meant to replace John Kick Jazz in the group. During a live performance of the song The Juggler from this EP, Violent J addressed the audience as Juggalos, and the audience liked it, and so the name stuck as an identifier for their fan base. Insane Clown Posse's second studio album, Ringmaster, was released on March 8, 1994, and now they began playing much bigger venues in Detroit. During a concert in 1993, Violent J threw an open bottle of Fago, a Michigan-based soft drink, at a row of attendees who were giving them the finger. After receiving a positive response, they've since continued to spray Fago into audiences and even launch two-liter bottles. Which is amazing to consider, like... (laughs) 
Like, do you, do you get a prize if you get knocked out by the Fago bottle? How does that work? <laughs> it's like a, the Gallagher show. You have to hold the, the little plastic thing Exactly, up. yeah. <laughs> People in, in the audience make it sprayed with Fago. <laughs> now, after a national tour, the album Ringmaster was certified gold. The group's second EP, The Terror Wheel, was released on August 5th, 1994. One song from this EP, Dead Body Man, was a big hit on local radio. In 1995, ICP signed to Jive Records, a really well-known hip-hop label, and released their third album, Riddlebox, on October 10, 1995. Jive was lax in promoting the album, so the band promoted it themselves, which included a grassroots campaign in Dallas, Texas, that led to the album selling 1,500 copies per week for months. So that must have been some campaign. In uh, sure. 19, 1996, manager, manager Alex Abbas negotiated a contract with the Disney-owned ho- label Hollywood Records, which reportedly paid $1 million to purchase the Insane Clown Posse contract from Jive. The group recording their fourth studio, the group recording their fourth studio album, uh, The Great Malenko, that very same year. Disney immediately demanded edits and track listing changes, which Violent J accepted. The Great Malenko was released on June 24, 1997, kicking off an autograph event and a big national tour. During the signing at that event, Insane Clown Posse was notified that Hollywood Records had recalled the album within hours of its release, despite it having sold 18,000 copies already and reaching number 63 on the Billboard 200 uh, chart. The group was also informed that its in-store signings and nationwide tour had been canceled. Commercials for the album and the music video for Halls of Illusions, which had reached number one on the Box Video Request channel, were pulled from television, and that the group was dropped from the label. After the Hollywood Records contract was terminated, Insane Clown Posse would sign a deal with the Island Polygram Records, which agreed to release their album as originally intended before all those Disney edits. The Great Malenko was certified platinum with over 1.7 million copies hey, sold. A uh, little controversy not goes bad, a long right? way. Yeah, that's <laughs> all. <laughs> uh, just for completion's sake, Disney backed out of its deal with ICP over pressure from a Southern Baptist coalition who saw Disney's gay-friendly policies as turning their back on, quote, family values. So ICP became the sacrificial lamb for all of that. It worked out in their favor, though, overall, I think. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Island also re-released the group's first two albums, as well as a two-CD compilation album composed of rare songs and demos titled Forgotten Freshness, Volume 1. In August 1997, Violent J heard friends Rob Van Dam and Sabu, who wanted him and Violent J to get involved in their second uh, pay-per-view for uh, ECW, that's Extreme Championship Wrestling, and uh, that show was called Hardcore Heaven. Insane Clown Posse would open the ECW show by performing songs and exciting the crowd. Then Van Dam and Sabu, the main villains of the time, would attack them. Uh, They were ultimately saved by fan-favorite wrestler Sandman, who chased Sabu and Van Dam away with his Singapore cane. Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope remained involved with wrestling, appearing in the World Wrestling Federation and then for World Championship Wrestling, uh, as well as pursuing amateur wrestling on the on the side here. Uh, one of them was actually power bombed on the top of a of a bus painted like the Partridge Family bus and fell off the side of it. Wow! So uh, yeah, that it was, was quite a quite a thud. Tell you. Yeah. <laughs> quite a thud. Now, uh, in 1999, they formed their own promotion, that's uh, Juggalo Champion Shit Wrestling, and uh, they've continued this ever since. And if this were a wrestling podcast, we'd probably have a whole lot more to say about this. Uh, As it is, we're starting to sound like a uh, music history podcast at this point, so we should probably 
start moving on. Start moving on, but we do have some more of that music history. <laughs> more context for you. So now it's late 1998. Over one million copies of The Great Malenko had been sold, and Insane Clown Posse was ready for its fifth album, The Amazing Jekyll Brothers. Though internationally known, Violent J felt that ICP lacked the respect they deserved. To get that respect, the Amazing Jekyll Brothers featured well-known rappers Snoop Dogg and Old Dirty Bastard, who were paid $40,000 and $30,000, respectively. Ice-T also recorded a verse for $10,000, but this song appeared on a different album. The Amazing Jekyll Brothers was released on May 25, 1999. It reached number four on the Billboard album charts and was certified platinum. Barry Waters of Rolling Stone magazine gave the album two of five stars, stating, No musical sleight of hand can disguise the fact that Shaggy and Jay remain the ultimate whack MCs. At the same time, the Amaz- as the Amazing Jekyll Brothers release, Island Records with- merged with hip-hop super label Def Jam Records and quickly became apparent to Bruce and Ulster that Def Jam Records had no interest in them. Uh, so they... Partly for this reason, they detoured into movie production, producing the exploitation comedy film Big Money Hustlers in 2001, featuring the insane clown posse, psychopathic records artists, and wrestler Mick Foley, directed by John Caffiero. Uh, By the way, one of the most enjoyable and stupidest movies I've ever seen. Uh, (laughs) Although we'll talk about another movie that's... Outclasses it. So the group continued to tour, uh, including being part of the roster of Woodstock '99 through to January 10, 2000, when Violent J collapsed on stage during a performance at the House of Blues in Chicago and was rushed to Northwestern Memorial Hospital. He was diagnosed with flu-related symptoms and abnormally low blood sugar. In July 2000, Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope staged the first annual Gathering of the Juggalos at the Novi Expo Center in Novi, Michigan. Described by uh, Violent J as a Juggalo Woodstock, the Gathering of the Juggalos was a three-day music festival that featured wrestling, games, seminars, contests, sideshows, and performances by all of Psychopathic Records artists. There have been 19 gatherings of the Juggalos to date, though the venue and scope has changed numerous times. Now, after the gathering of the Juggalos, uh, Insane Clown Posse set out to release its sixth and seventh studio albums. They're Bizarre with one Z and two A's, and Bizarre with two Z's and one A as a double album. I like to call uh, them. Bizarre. I like to call them Bizarre and Bizarre. I think that's good. So. <laughs> Bizarre and Bizarre were released on October 31st, 2000, and peaked at 20 and 21s, respectively, on the uh, Billboard 200, with combined sales of 400,000 copies. After MTV's Total Request Live refused to air videos from these albums, despite a flood of requests, ICP left Island Records and arranged for distribution through D3, uh, funding all recording, promotion, and distribution themselves. As such, they are likely the biggest independent label operating today. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of anything that even comes close to the scope of this for a. Sure. In, I mean, they really handle everything themselves, so it's it's something. It's all in house, yeah. Crazy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's also talk about Chaos Comics. Uh, they were founded in 1994 with uh, writer Brian Pulido as president, and they did this in Scottsdale, Arizona. They published their first title, Evil Ernie, with a December 1993 cover date. Uh, they'd continue publishing mostly horror comics throughout the 1990s with uh, creators like Stephen Hughes, Al Rio, Mike Flippin, Justiniano, and Hart D. Fisher, who we've talked about at length mm-hmm. prior. 
Uh, Chaos Comics' most popular creation, Lady Death, began her self-titled series with a 1994, January 1994 cover date for Chaos, yes. In the uh, late 90s, Chaos would cut a deal with World of Wrestling Entertainment to produce some comics based on Stone Cold Steve Austin, China, and Mankind, a.k.a. Mick Foley. Uh, Chaos also did pro- comics for music bands, and in 1999, they signed on to publish a 12-part comic book about the uh, series about the insane clown posse called The Pendulum. Each issue was meant to be packaged with a CD single, but ICP was delayed, and which delayed publication of the full series, but it all did eventually happen, so the full <laughs> album does exist. And from what we can tell, Halls of Illusion number one, and there is only one, was a last-ditch effort to either fulfill a contract or get some capital, because almost immediately after this issue came out, Chaos Comics went out of business. They, f- they filed for bankruptcy in late 2002 with all characters, save for Lady Death, being sold off to comic retailer Tales of Wonder, who sold the rights then to Devil's Due Publishing. And after the demise of Devil Do's, Devil's Due Publishing, the rights to the Chaos Comics characters went to Dynamite Entertainment. Uh, prior to the bankruptcy, rights to Lady Death were sold to CrossGen Entertainment, and prior to CrossGen's bankruptcy, those rights were sold to Brian Polito at Ava- and Avatar Press, who founded the imprint Boundless Comics solely for the use of Lady Death Comics. Mm-hmm. Seems like a cursed thing there. Isn't it? Really, I mean, you know, and I, I gotta, I'm thinking like, have I, have we seen these characters come from Dynamite? I no, I don't remember any. I do. don't think so. I think I have yeah. seen Lady Death comics in like more recent years, but yes, I, I have are. not seen a Evil Ernie comic in quite a while. So I think there was like an Evil Ernie and and uh, was it a Hack Slash crossover oh, not really? too long ago? Yeah. Uh, I, I, unless I dreamt it, I, I might have dreamt it. <laughs> Uh, It sounds like something to dream about, for sure. It does, doesn't it? (laughs) Now, into the comic itself. ICP, Halls of Illusion, number one. The cover depicts cartoon versions of Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope. The artist was very generous to Violent J in particular. Uh, Shaggy 2 Dope is in the back, grinning maniacally, wielding a Sith, or Scythe. Uh, Violent J is in the foreground, also grinning maniacally, and uh, plunging a knife into his arm. It looks like it, right? I mean, it's yeah. there's no blood, but he just got a knife just right there, just right there. Uh, let's just say that these two uh, are grinning maniacally throughout the entire issue, other, unless otherwise specified. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll be repeating that a lot, uh, or we would be. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a skull with growing with glowing eyes in the far background surveying the action. The cover image is fine, but the uh, layout leaves a little bit to be desired. It uh, reads Insane Clown Posse at the top center, but the issue's title, Halls of Illusion Number 1, is arranged vertically along the right side. It is colored red and is rendered really small, and it kind of disappears into the background. Yeah, not the best uh, snatch-me-off-the-rack type of thing I've ever seen, mm. but it's uh, it's cool enough. On the inside front cover, we got the issue's credits and a message from the author. That's Jesse McCann, who says, Story so far. What's up, y'all? Jesse McCann, a.k.a. Fat McDaddy here. After jamming through the nether void of insane clown posse, the pendulum, me and Jumpsteady decided it's time to freak a while with some hellish fresh stories that fly off ICP CDs right into your brain jelly. Straight? We picked some of the baddest ICP songs, along with Gerardo Sandoval's mean-ass penciling. We've laid down some comics interpretations, wicked clown style. In this first issue, we tell a tale of runaway rides and just desserts. So sit back in your beanbag, knock back some fagos, fire up the headphones, and enter the halls of illusion. Fire up the uh, headphones, huh? 
Is that what we're firing up here? In, in fairness, he might have known we were going to do a show on this uh, 20 years later. Right? Possibly, yeah, he probably did. <laughs> uh, Halls of Illusions is the first single by the Insane Clown Posse from their fourth studio album, The Great Malenko. It's the seventh track on the album and features guitar work by Slash, formerly of Guns N' Roses. In fact, there's an image of a car CD player informing us that this is track seven in the first panel. Now, Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope are welcoming a portly man in a t-shirt, that's way too small, into a crazy-looking amusement park grounds, uh, which is known as the Dark Carnival. And as you might imagine, the guy seems pretty reluctant. And Violent J is there, he says, Ticket, please! Thanks! Walk through the doors! Shaggy 2 Dope goes, Watch your step! Into the Halls of Illusions! Visit yours! There are, exhibit, there are exhibits called Comics Creators and also one that says Bitches. Uh, Violet J sharpens his index finger on a stone, then pokes the portly guy in the nose. Behind him, a ghoulish clown holds mirrors depicting things, such yeah. as some guy graduating, a long-haired guy wailing on a guitar, and, uh, I don't know, some old guy playing with a doll? Yeah, I'm not sure what we were, what we were oh, seeing yeah. here. Maybe others that are coming to the Halls of Illusion. I was really Maybe. Like uh, Violent J says, and see what coulda and shoulda and woulda been real, but you had to fork up the whole deal. Fat guy goes, Ooh! And the vi- victim is ushered away by another totally different ugly clown. Yes, he looks back to see a scene of people being rendered apart by demons. Caption reads, let's take a walk down the hallway. It's a long way. It takes all day. And Shaggy Two Dope, dressed as a surgeon and flanked by two buxom nurses, welcomes the guy to have a seat in an oversized chair. It's almost like a throne. And when we get to the end, you'll find a chair with straps and chains. We'll slap you in there. Lock you down tight. You can't move a thread. And pull your eyelids up over your head. This man's eyelids are yanked back forcefully by Violent J, uh, but unfortunately not quite over his head. Not quite, no. No, no, close but no cigar. Uh, Shaggy Tudop is dripping hot sauce into one of his eyeballs, which oh, doesn't seem pleasant. That's not going to help his sight at all. No. Uh, now we can see that this guy is being forced to watch four giant television screens or perhaps four mirrors or both. I don't know. Maybe. Shaggy Tudop goes, because you're about to witness an illusionary dream. It's just too bad it ain't what it seems. And then the man wakes up in a hammock. Stretched between two trees in a lush suburban backyard that's an in-ground pool next to him. Yeah, he wakes up and goes, What a spitty dream. And this guy heads into his house. <laughs> wait, wait till the wife hears about this, honey. Now, the scene in ha- inside the house, well, Shaggy Too Dope narrates it. You walk in and see two kids on the floor. They're playing Nintendo, and he's got the high score. <laughs> uh, not to be that guy, but these kids in the panel are clearly playing Sega Genesis or possibly the Atari, Atari Jaguar, but definitely not any of the typically great Nintendo systems. I'm just going to say that, right? You know, art problem right there. Maybe, maybe it's like my, my mom thinks everything's a Nintendo, That's so right. maybe it's kind of like that. <laughs> Did you play your Nintendos? Did it? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, the chubby fella approaches his wife sitting near the children from behind. And sitting behind them, chilling in the chair, is your wife, and when you look, oh, you ain't there. And this man gets pulled into a mirror by some really gross-looking creatures. 
Looking out, he sees Shaggy 2 Dope roughly grabbing his wife's breast, and he looks thrilled about it. She looks to be quite okay with it, though. It's true, and Shaggy's hand grew three sizes that day. You see that? It's like it's like the hand is, is twice as big as her head. It it's some other man in the hand in hand. Now she looks so happy you don't understand. See, this is illusion, and it never came true, all because of you. And uh, Shaggy 2 Dope pushes the guy through the mirror, shattering it. No, please. Violent J says, Back to reality and what you're about. The man finds himself outside the house again. He storms right back in the house by kicking the door open. Leave me alone. To find his wife in a filthy kitchen with a black eye and missing teeth. Violent J says, Your wife can't smile because you knocked her teeth out and she can't see straight from getting hit because you're a fat, fork, and drunk piece of spit. After the man shoves his wife's face into the wall, uh, Violent J punches him hard in the stomach with a hoof, to which the fat guy goes, oof. Now they're all on some kind of stage with a blue curtain behind them. Yeah, Shaggy 2 Dope is holding up a big sign that reads applause. Uh, he and Violent J are in tuxedos all of a sudden. But it's all good. Here, come have a beer. Violent J hands the man a beer, but breaks the bottle before he can take it. I'll break the top off of it and shove it in your ear. Then get this, he does just that. He did that. He said he would do it, and he'd done it. So uh, Shaggy 2 Dope pushes a large box, lab- box labeled Grand Prize onto the stage, while the victim is on one knee clutching his ear in pain. And your dream comes wicked, painful, and slow. The fat man goes, ah. And out of the box comes a severely demonic-looking clown in a white and purple turban. The clown wields an oversized wand, and green mist fills the place. Shaggy 2 Dope and Violent J have shed their tuxedos. At the hands of Malenko. And uh, this monster clown is Malenko, we gather, right? It would have to be. The caption reads, Great Malenko, wave your wand. Don't look now, your life is gone. This is all because of you. What you got yourself into... The floor falls away from beneath the corpulent fella. Beneath him, uh, he sees a yawning pit of toothy monsters with multiple eyes. Malenko sends out a bird in order to tip the guy into the pit. Inside, he's torn apart by all them seething monsters. I don't know if there was some deep symbolism there, but I did like the uh, sending the bird out. It was just like a Tiny little, little, bird, yeah. little thing just to, just to tip him over into, uh, well, death and destruction. Now, uh, on to the next vignette. This one concerns a slender, bald guy with a goatee wearing a trench coat. Violent J is standing outside in the uh, dark carnival fairgrounds, uh, welcoming the new victim in. Look who's next. It's Mr. Clark, the dirty old man from the trailer park. It doesn't look that old to us, huh? I mean, he looks about my age, and uh, I'm definitely not old, so. Yeah, right? That's me. <laughs> you got your ticket? Thanks. Violent J rips the guy's coat off and uh, kicks him into the big top tent. Take your coat off, and later on, why not? I'll rip your throat off. <laughs> That's right neighborly of you. That's good. Uh, <laughs> now Violent J licks the sharp edge of a combat knife with glee. Uh, the bald man sees an exhibit reading, Free Teen Nude. There are scantily clad women on display, one in a gimp mask. Caption reads, Let's take a walk down the hallway. It's a long way. It takes all day. The women seen in the free teen nudes exhibit strap Baldy into the same oversized chair that we saw before. 
And when you get to the end, you'll find a chair. You see all the blood? Yeah, your boy was just here. We get all different kinds of people coming through. Richies, chickens, and bitches like you. Oh, the man sees a bunch of mirrors depicting other people that have sat in the chair. Maybe. Uh, we do see a guy strapped in with a screwdriver in his head. Uh, looks like an image of a uh, of the bald guy taking his clothes off around two little girls, maybe? I mean, it was... I... Yeah, that's that's what it looked like to me. That's what I'm saying. Uh, that, well, he's, I can only, he's a pervert. Can only, yeah. can only record what we see, folks. I don't know what that's to say. That's true. <laughs> we don't read between the lines. No. Now, also, uh, some man hunched over a rainstorm uh, getting a pitchfork stuck in his back. Uh, one of the free teen nude girls shoved some virtual reality goggles on the follically challenged fella's face. In the halls, everybody gets a turn. So sit and witness your illusion before you burn. And then, well, we'll just let Shaggy Two Dope tell us. What do we have here? Oh yeah, no way. It looks like your kids and they're okay. Your daughter's chilling up in college, top grade, and your son's a forking doctor, fat paid. And that is P H A T paid. That's right. Uh, I haven't a, seen that in like twenty years. <laughs> and, I mean, this is two thousand two. <laughs> this isn't ninety five, folks. This is two thousand two. Uh, <laughs> a, a panel shows us an idyllic uh, scene of a family on Christmas morning assembled around a brightly lit tree. They got families and kids, and it's all good. They even coach Little League in the neighborhood. Is it true? Have you all seen the Holy Ghost? You know, it really is nice to see the insane clown posse tell a, a nice story for once about a happy family life where everyone is successful and getting together. Nah, bitch, not even close. <sighs> so, the caption reads... Back to reality, your son's on crack, and your daughter's got nut stains on her back, and they both oh. fork and smell like spit, and live in the gutter, and sell crack to each other. Well, at least they have a system worked down. When they were kids, you'd beat them, and leave them home, and even whip them with the cord of the telephone. Now, all of this narration describes the in-panel action, right. of course. Uh, now, the bald man sits in his chair, tears streaming down his face, and he looks to be in major distress. And Violent J says, And that reminds me, man, hey, you got a call! Violent J hands the victim a flip phone. Uh, it was 2002, so... Yeah, he goes, Hello? And Malenko says, Walker, step to hell! It's a long fall! The great Malenko rises behind the man's chair. Violent J also pops up and stabs him in the neck for some reason. <laughs> great Malenko, wave your wand. Don't look now, your life is gone. This is all because of you. What you got yourself into. Same kind of thing happens as before. You know, a pit opens beneath the man, he falls in, he's torn to bits, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Shaggy Tootop and Violent J stand outside the dark carnival now. Violent J says, Ah, it's time to pack up and move to the next town. Then, a white Mercedes with bison horns on the hood and a Confederate flag waving from the antenna comes screeching to a stop, honking its horn. A huge guy with a handlebar mustache and a ten-gallon hat lumbers out. But we forgot Mr. Bigot. Yeah, Mr. Bigot waves a fistful of cash in front of them, and he goes, See? They'll stay open for me. Okay, dig it. We can't show you an illusion because we're all packed, but I'll still cut your neck out. How's that? Violent J swings an axe into Mr. Bigot's neck, causing blood to spray out, and also causing him to say, Hurk! And Violent J says, Not a bad night's work. Caption reads, Great Malenko, wave your wand. Don't look now, your life is gone. This is all because of you. 
what you got yourself into. Mr. Bigot is pulled into the ground by some sentient vines. The final page is a splash panel of a very evil-looking Great Malenko lording over the caravan of the Dark Carnival as it makes its way to the next place. The final panel is the same as the first, the car CD player, except now it reads, Stop, and the song is over. Caption reads, Next issue, Mr. Johnson's Head. Which, as far as we can tell, never came out. Uh, But there are lots more Insane Clown Posse comics. Uh, We'll take a break and listen to a radio-friendly version of Halls of Illusion and then come back to uh, tell you all about the rest. That's right. We'll tell you about the history of clowns, other clowns that have been in comics, and we're even going to read listener mail. So see you soon. Ticket, please. Thanks. Walk through the doors and through the halls of illusions. Visit yours and see what could have and should have. It would have been real, but you had to jack the whole deal.
everybody we're gonna wrap up talking about the insane clown posse's career uh their music career at least on november 5th in 2002 insane clown posse released their eighth studio album the wraith shangri-la which debuted at number 15 on the billboard 200 and number one on the top independent albums chart it was on this album that icp revealed themselves as evangelical christians or at least some sort of judeo-christian belief in god in the song thy unveiling violent j raps it ain't got nothing to do with us it ain't psychopathic records all we're doing is pointing spit out to you we in this together who's behind the dark carnival the gatherings and the hatchet who's behind dark lotus the circus and everybody at it who invented juggalos and juggalettes and fork and fago showers what about that feeling you get when bumping our spit? Who's behind these juggalo powers? This ain't no forking fan club. It ain't about making a buck. Don't buy our forking action figures. I don't give a fork. It ain't about Violent J or Shaggy, the Butterfly or Seventeen. When we speak of Shangri-La, what you think we mean? Truth is, we follow God and we've always been behind him. The carnival is God and may all juggalos find him. On August 31st, 2004, Insane Clown Posse released their ninth studio album, Hell's Pit, the second exhibit of The Wraith, intended to warn listeners of the horrors of hell. Violent J described the album as the darkest, most painful work he'd ever done. Two versions of the album were released, each containing a different DVD. One release featured a live concert and a 12-minute music video for the song Real Underground Baby, and another featured a short film for the song Bowling Balls, which was the first 3D film shot in high-definition video. Hmm. <laughs> On uh, March 20th, 2017, Insane Clown Posse would release their 10th studio album called The Tempest. It would debut at number 20 on the Billboard 200, and it would sell nearly 33,000 copies in its first week. On August 6, 2009, they released the, the direct-to-DVD film Big Money Rustless, an exploitation comedy with a Western theme, which was directed by Paul Anderson. And I'll tell you, if you, are, if you don't know whether to do Big Money Hustlers or Big Money Rustlers... <laughs> I do big money rustlers. It's it's beyond ludicrous. It's incredible. <laughs> now, Insane Clown Posse's 11th studio album, Bang Pow Boom, would be released on September 1st, 2009. It debuted at number one on the Billboard Top Independent Albums chart and number four on the Billboard 200. On February 17, 2010, Psychopathic Records signed a contract with Universal Music Group's Fontana Distribution, which got them a massive worldwide distribution uh, immediately. On mm. April 6, 2010, Bang Pow Boom was reissued in a nuclear edition, which featured previously unreleased material and music videos for the songs In Yo Face and Miracles. 
The Mighty Death Pop is the 12th studio album by the Insane Clown Posse, released on August 14, 2012. Additionally, the album was released in three variant editions, containing three individual full-length bonus albums. Wow. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's a lot a, of content. A lot it? of material they're putting out there. Uh, this album debuted at number four on the Billboard 200 chart, selling 41,000 copies in its first week. The Marvelous Missing Link, colon, Lost, is the 14th studio album by the Insane Clown Posse, and it was released on April 28, 2015. It would peak at number 17 on the Billboard 200, number 2 on the Independent Charts, and number 2 on the Rap Charts. This would be followed up three months later by The Marvelous Missing Link, colon, Found. This is July 31, 2015. And uh, this was the group's 35th overall release, which includes EPs, collections, and albums of outtakes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this hit 136 on the Billboard 200 and position 9 on the independent label and rap album charts. 35th overall release. I mean, yeah, that is incredible. You know what I mean? Most uh, most heck bands, of a body of work. If they yeah. can do a fifth of that, they're considered like legendary, and it, sure. it, that's a lot of music. Um, so that more or less takes them up to the present day. I uh, just want to say here that Juggalos have been classified as a criminal street gang by government and law enforcement agencies, including the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the National Gang Intelligence Center, and the states of Arizona, California, Pennsylvania, and Utah since 2011. This is owing to a rash of crimes that were committed by self-professed Juggalos bearing specific tattoos or wearing you know, certain clothing. Uh, I'm not going to get into all this now, except to say that it's complete bull spit to label all fans of something a gang just because one fan is a criminal. Yeah, uh, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, I mean, and truly, you know, I probably listening to this, you can tell Chris and I are, are what you would call rabid ICP fans. However, no. <laughs> going into it, I, it, it seems like a perfectly harmless, fine music fandom, uh, you know? It's, why not, yeah. If, if anything, it leans towards kind of positivity and, you know, a bunch of kids getting together, drinking soda, and putting on face paint. I really couldn't I couldn't think of anything more innocuous are, to me. Uh, yeah, there are worse things they could be doing, for sure. Ab- absolutely. Uh, so, you know, you know, we've only just scratched the surface on the Insane Clown Posse and Psychopathic Records, and we could go on at length about the controversies, the lawsuits, even the spiritual philosophy of Juggalos and Juggalettes, and we will. ICP did a few other comics, and we'll get to them in time, so we'll be back swinging our hatchets again in no time. Mm -hmm. But uh, now I want to talk a little bit about clowns. Uh, The clown character developed out of the rustic fool characters of the early modern Commedia dell'arte, which was popular European theater from the 16th to the 18th centuries. Uh, They were called Zane or Zanny. The Orzani, even. These characters Mm. themselves directly based on the rustic fool characters of ancient Greek and Roman theater. They were essentially bumbling immigrants unfamiliar with customs and language. Uh, Think like Borat would have been the supreme Zanny of the day. Mm. Now, the English word clown was first recorded around 1560 in the generic meaning uh, rustic boar peasant. Uh, No one is sure when the word... uh, came from, uh, possibly from Scandinavian cognate for clumsy, which is Clooney. Uh, The sense of clown uh, as referring to a professional jester or habitual fool would develop soon after, uh, 1600, based on the Elizabethan rustic fool characters such as Shakespeare's in plays like Othello and A Midsummer Night's Dream. In the 17th century, England developed the Holquinade, essentially a slapstick comedy on stage in pantomime. It involved five characters, all variations of clowns. 
Many classical antics of the clown character, such as pratfalls and double takes, would be developed in the early 1800s by Joseph Grimaldi, who played a clown in the 1800 pantomime Peter Wilkins, or Harlequin in the Flying World, at Sadler's Wells, at Sadler's Wells Theatre. Uh, this led to the circus clown, uh, the circus deriving from Philip Astley's London Riding School, which would open in 1768. After a while, Astley would hire clowns to amuse the audience in between equestrian sets. Now, American comedian George L. Fox became known for his clown role, directly inspired by Joseph Grimaldi in the 1860s. Working for Circus Wrens in Vienna, Tom Belling developed the now-classic features of the clown, white face, red nose, oversized hobo clothing, around 1870. By the late 19th century, this clown character is reflected in Ruggiero Leon Cavallo's 1892 opera Pagliacci, which, uh, translated from Italian, means clowns. Then Russian actor Nikolai Pol- Polyakov continued the tradition with the clown character Coco during the 1920s and 1930s. In 20th century America, with the silly immigrant character falling out of favor, uh, perhaps because audiences comprised mainly of immigrants didn't find it so funny, (laughs) clowns tended more toward the silly hobo than the classical zanny character. For instance, Charlie Chaplin's silent film The Tramp, 1914, and circus performer Emmett Kelly's character Weary Willie, based on hobos of the Depression era. Red Skelton's Dodo the Clown in the movie The Clown, 1953, directed by Robert Z. Leonard, depicts a circus clown as a tragic comic stock character, a funny man with a drinking problem. We also have Bozo the Clown. He was an influential clown character in the late 1950s. The uh, character was created by Alan W. Livingston and portrayed by Pinto Colvig for the children's storytelling record album and read-along book set in 1946. Bozo would become so popular during the 1940s, and he uh, served as the mascot for the record company Capitol Records. The Bozo the Clown show premiered in 1960 and appeared nationally on cable television in 1978. There's also McDonald's. They derived its mascot clown, Ronald McDonald, from the Bozo character back in the 1960s. And I would say pretty much the, the modern archetypical clown is from Bozo. It's, you know... For sure. You know, high, high eye paint and bald head and all that stuff. Uh, Now, the origins of the archetype of the evil clown, that's a little more unclear. Murderous clowns began popping up in 19th century literature, such as Edgar Allan Poe's Hop Frog, published March 17, 1849, wherein a jester, a dwarf jester, in fact, murders a royal court by burning them alive. Frenchie the Clown, created by Nick Bakai and Alan Kupperberg, is the title character in National Lampoon's Evil Clown Comics, which ran in the magazine in the late 1980s and early 1990s, and he was a bitter, sleazy, womanizing, murderous clown. Uh, The modern stock character, the Evil Clown, was popularized by Stephen King's novel It, published in 1986, featuring Pennywise the Clown that turned out to be a giant glowing spider. Mm-hmm. Now, that's all well and good stuff, but uh, this is a comic show, so oh, right. I surely, I, surely I, there are I thought clowns this was a in music, comics. I thought this was a music and clown history podcast. I, I forgot. <laughs> now, surely there are clowns in comics, and uh, we couldn't start with anyone but the granddaddy, the clown prince of crime, the Joker. He first appeared in Batman Number 1 on sale April 25th, 1940, created by Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and Jerry Robinson. As you know, the Joker had an accident at the Ace Chemical Plant, and it left him with white skin, green hair, and red lips. So uh, he sort of became a permanent clown. 
he was already a criminal before the accident, uh, but now he uh, murders more and probably laughs more while he does it. Probably, probably has a lot more of a better sense of humor, I guess. Sure. You have to. When that happens, you gotta you got to keep <laughs> laughing. Uh, Quality Comics would not be outdone and introduced The Jester in Smash Comics number 22, May 1941, cover date, in a story written and drawn by Paul Gustafson. Uh, rookie cop Chuck Lane learns that he's a direct descendant of a medieval court jester. And that's good enough reason for him to dress up like a clown and fight crime. Sure. We have, uh, we've got the clown queen of crime. She first appeared in All-American Comics number 89, that had a September 1947 cover date. She was known as the Harlequin in a Green Lantern story by Robert Kaniger and Erwin Hassan. Uh, her real name, Molly Maine, she developed a crush on the Green Lantern, so she donned a tutu, a party hat, carried a mandolin, and committed crimes to get his attention, all under the name Harlequin. Years later, and several uh, continuity right. shifts later, uh, she and Alan Scott, the Green Lantern, the Golden Age Green Lantern, were married. So it worked, basically. Her, it did. Her, her ploy eventually worked. It just took, you know, Don't, right, don't try this at home. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster created a new character after being separated financially from Superman. He was named Funny Man. He debuted in Funny Man number one, January August 1948, cover date by Magazine Enterprises. When comedian Larry Davis, and not that Larry Davis, winds up inadvertently thwarting a crime during a publicity stunt, he decides he likes being a hero and adopts the identity of Funny Man, a kind of vaudeville clown with lots of novelty tricks. People didn't like the character, and the comic lasted six issues. I'm surprised they made it that many. Really? Uh, you don't get much more clownish than actually being named the clown. We've got a character who first appeared in The Incredible Hulk number three, way back September 1962 cover date, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. A uh, member of the Ringmaster Circus of Crime, uh, originally he was one of a bunch of clowns. Now he is... The clown. Uh, he's got no superpowers and instead uses the same souped-up novelties that all of these comic book clowns seem to like to use. Uh, he is also an expert unicyclist, which uh, might set him apart. That's nice. Do you think they get all these uh, novelties from a special evil clown comic book or something in the back? They might. <laughs> you know, send away for the, the murderous joy buzzer. Uh, yes, the acid flower. There you go. <laughs> Kill your friends. Anyway, uh, the original Punch and Jewelie were first featured in Captain Adam number 85, March 1967, cover date, by Steve Ditko, published by Charlton Comics. This is a couple of criminal puppeteers that find a box of alien weaponry, which they use to become goofy criminals, as if... Being a puppeteer wasn't goofy enough. Uh, later, after all the characters were absorbed into the DC Universe, they were members of the Suicide Squad for a while. We saw them not too long ago when we discussed Underworld Unleashed. That's they right. Were, they, were. Uh, they were present and accounted for. Uh, now, the Jester was too sweet a character to languish in Golden Age obscurity, so the name was reused in Daredevil number 42, July 1968 cover date by Stan Lee and Gene Colan. Failed actor and gymnast Jonathan Powers battles Daredevil using lots of novelties provided by the Tinkerer, as well as natural acrobatics under the name the Jester. Now, this mantle would be passed along to a couple of other people throughout the years and so, probably will continue to uh, in memorial. Same thing with, <laughs> with the clown, by the way. That also has been a couple of people over the years, but essentially the same the same shtick every same time. Same gimmick, yeah. Uh, a different Harlequin, speaking of another name they couldn't let go, uh, also known as the Joker's Daughter, first appeared in a Bob Brozakis penned Robin story in Batman Family Number 6, August 1976, cover date, penciled by Jose Delbo. 
Looking more or less like a lady joker, she claimed to be the daughter of Catwoman, Scarecrow, Riddler, and Penguin. Turns out she was actually Two-Face's daughter all along, and her name is Dula Dent. She was a member of the Teen Titans for a while under the name Harlequin, and there was also a whole Joker Joker's daughter thing during the New 52. We, we're just not even going to talk about that. It was very weird. She was yeah, we, we... in too many comics for the character that she is. For sure, yeah. There was a big rush for the holo- for the lenticular cover, and there all was... of a sudden they, they took that as, oh, we need more. Yeah, people must love this character. It was like showing up everywhere. <laughs> like, no, like, what? No, you what? only printed eight copies. Yeah. That's why people wanted it. <laughs> We have uh, Obnoxio the Clown. He was a foul, evil clown that first appeared in Marvel's unasked answer to Mad Magazine, Crazy. Issue number 63, June 1980, cover date, mostly drawn by Alan Kupperberg over the years. Uh, Larry Hammer created Obnoxio immediately after he became the editor of Crazy, explaining, I thought the old mascot was too nebbishy. I wanted someone provocative and someone who actually had a voice, unlike all other humor magazine mascots. His face was modeled after Al Milgram. That's not nice. Um, no, that's, that's not a nice thing to do. Uh, Marvel, Marvel would publish a one-shot called Obnoxio the Clown, uh, a, a one-shot Obnoxio the Clown story called Obnoxio the Clown versus the X-Men, uh, cover dated April 1983, despite the fact that Crazy was canceled by that point. And he's also shown up here and there, but yeah. not worth uh, hanging your hat on that. It's uh, new. Cap versus Madcap in Captain America number 307, July 1985, covered eight by Mark Gruenwald and Paul Neary. On the way to a church picnic, the man who became Madcap got into an accident that doused everyone aboard his bus with compound X07, killing them all. Except for him. Driven insane by the carnage, he tries to commit suicide by jumping in front of a car, but finds that his wounds heal instantly. So, he takes it upon himself to expose others to the absurdity of life, spouting philosophical nonsense while creating chaos. It wouldn't be surprising at all to learn that the insane clown posse was inspired by the character Violator or Clown that first appeared in Spawn Number no. 2, May 1992, cover date by Todd McFarlane. Uh, the oldest and most powerful of five demons, he acts as Spawn's guardian devil, if such a thing could be said to exist. Uh, he sort of looks like an evil Danny DeVito, or maybe if Danny DeVito ate another Danny DeVito. Pretty much, yeah, right? It's, <laughs> it's pretty much an impossible body shape, but uh, bless sure. his heart. Uh, junior high school class clown Steve Harmon is, in reality, slapstick. First appearing in the awesome slapstick number one, November 1992, covered eight by Len Kaminsky and James Fry. When Steve steps through a weird portal in a carnival funhouse, his body's molecules change to the unstable unstable electroplasm, which essentially gives him Bugs Bunny-level powers. Basically. Uh, now, created for a cartoon, Harley Quinn has had the long-term presence in comic books. First appeared in the Batman Adventures number 12, September 1993, cover date by Kelly Puckett and Mike Parabek, though the character was created by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim. Her story is uh, she was a psychiatrist named Dr. Harleen Quinzel and was driven batty when she began when she began regular sessions with the Joker from Arkham Asylum. She would become the Joker's loyal lapdog, wielding a comically oversized mallet and wearing a red and black Jester's costume. Then she got a couple of hyenas, hung out with Poison Ivy, started wearing cut-off jeans, and got her hair dyed a couple different colors. Uh, (laughs) 
She's uh, gone through some changes over the years and uh, remains a big deal character even to this day. Pretty much, yeah. It's, it's funny she became one of the linchpin characters of DC Comics. Uh, wild. I, yeah. I would put her, yeah, at one point I put her above Wonder Woman. I don't know about right now, but anyway. Sure. Uh, Jack in the Box is a clownish character created by Kurt Busiek, Brent Anderson, and Alex Ross, who first appeared in Astro City number no. 3, October 1995, published by Image Comics. Toy designer Jack Johnson retaliated against his corrupt employers by creating an arsenal of wacky weapons and spring-loaded limbs to become Jack in the Box. Uh, they also kidnapped his father, too, so that was it was justified. During the series, the mantle and costume has been passed down twice, first to Jack's son, Zack, and then more recently on to Zack's protege, Roscoe James. And he still sells tacos, too, for a dollar. That's so. right, that Jack in the Box. <laughs> <laughs> that'll do us for clowns, but long-awaited, we're going to get into some listener mail. Yeah. We're going to start with one from our friend Jeremiah Jones Goldstein. Or I keep forgetting how to pronounce that last name. Is it Stein or Stein? Uh, I believe it was Stein. I don't remember. Okay, I'm Jeremiah sorry. Jones Goldstein. We apologize, <laughs> Jeremiah. Sorry, Jeremiah. Uh, he said, Big Ox 73, I'm sorry, 737 at on. At Twitter, on Twitter. Uh, He says, Chris, Reggie, I just finished listening to episode 106 and enjoyed it very much. This was the uh, Captain N episode. Right. I love when you guys cover a company's history and found the Valiant history fascinating. I recently started reading some Valiant comics, currently Exo Man of War, Ninjak, Bloodshot Redemption. I have a couple of friends who are long-term readers, uh, that loyal following you were talking about, and have listened to them talk about how good they were for years. I've been curious about Valiant since they were the darlings on the Wizard Top Ten list. Uh, He goes on, I honestly didn't know that Valiant had such a history with licensed properties beyond the gold key characters. The Nintendo comics did come out around that time when I was actually not into collecting comics, and around my senior year of high school, freshman year of college. That would explain why I never heard of or saw them or the wrestling comics. The issue you read was goofy and entertaining, but I probably liked your reading of it more than I would the comic itself. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he wraps up. Finally, I'd like to mention how much I'm looking forward to Reggie's reviews of DC Comics Presents. I love that comic. I've been working on a complete sort of run for a couple of years now. I probably won't ever get teen- the Teen Titans preview issue number 26 or the He-Man issue number 47. As for the rest of them, I only have a handful left to get. Thanks for another awesome episode. And, uh, yeah, so when he wrote that, I was talking about, I you know, every Tuesday I've been doing uh, Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane reviews on uh, weirdsciencedccomics.com, and I was going to do Thursday's DC Comics Presents, and I, I think I got one out. <laughs> problem problem is, is that the way I'm doing these Lois reviews... Uh, they're incredibly time intensive. I, I essentially, I essentially cut up two thirds or more of the book, lay them out in the review. I write the thing. I've got comments. I got little stupid jokey comments in every one. I really enjoy the way they come out. They just take a long time. So, I think what I actually may do though is I may, I'm going to continue doing my lowest lanes that way. But I'm going to start uh, in November doing DC Comics presents on Thursdays, but a much more normal review, you know what I mean, Chris? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something you could just read without having to set aside an hour and a half of your day. So, but, but thank you very much, Jeremiah, and I appreciate Absolutely. your interest, of course, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening. 
Then we're going to hop into another Jeremiah email, which he opens with, Chris, Reggie, I really enjoyed both parts of the direct market episodes. Those were weird comics history episodes from uh, about a month ago. Yep. Uh, he says, as usual, your research and writing was excellent. I really got a lot out of the episodes, especially the history of early fans selling comics through fanzines and newsletters. Additional, that first comic book store, store uh, slash thrift shop sounds amazing. Imagine being able to time travel back to when he first opened. Wow. And that that would be... Wow, uh, yeah. you'd, you'd faint. That's you'd the thing, faint. action one, two, three, four in the window. You know, all that. Right like, there. What? <laughs> in direct sunlight, no less. <laughs> That's what I'm, uh, I'm now... <laughs> thinking, the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> he continues, and just to prove that I am really paying attention, I recently picked up the two volumes of Don Rose's comics and stories that Fantagraphics released. In the intro to the first volume, Don writes about his first run of strips being collected in Rocket Blast and, be- and uh, Rocket's Blast was a Rocket's Blast comics. What was that? Uh, what was the full title of that? Comic after, Collector. After they, Rocket's Blast Comic Rocket Collector. Rocket's Blast yeah. Comic Collector. Uh, and because of your podcast, I knew what he was talking about. That is that is a nice feeling, right? When you, uh, Absolutely. If you, you, you look at something and like, blanks. gee, yeah. I know that, you know. Uh, <laughs> he goes on to say, I am very glad you started a Patreon account. I'm glad to be able to support your work through more than just an occasional retweet and email. I'm looking forward to the rest of the bent event, best event ever, event two which is still going on this month, I believe. Yep. Uh, you kick off, your kickoff episode was very good and a lot of fun. As always, keep up the great work, and I'll be listening. And as always, we can't thank you enough, especially for your Patreon support and all the other mm-hmm. Patreon supporters. We thank you and bless you and your homes. Uh, Scott Finley, he's uh, at sgf524 at gmail. He wrote, uh, I have really been enjoying your podcast for a couple of years now. As a 30-year comic reader, it is great to be reminded of so much and to learn new things. I noticed something really odd in the Overstreet section of the podcast. This would have been in the uh, Direct Market episodes. I moved to Southeast Tennessee in 2016. I drive by Estes Kefauver Park in Madisonville, Tennessee on my commute to work, and it was funny to hear the name mentioned on the Comics Code series of podcasts. Then you guys indicate that Robert Overstreet started the guide within 30 miles of where Kefauver was from. That seems pretty crazy to me. Anyway, keep up the great work. I will keep it on the treadmill cosmically. Then thank you <laughs> very much, Scott. You know, it's one thing yes. when we, uh, you know, when we do our research, we, we find the same things, right, Chris? Like, whatever. Weird you, serendipity. Yeah, yeah you'll, you'll, you'll read about, I don't know, you know, you'll read about a comic book, and then you'll find out that was the next guy you're bioing. That was his first comic book, and yep. it, uh, it all kind of blends together over time. Oh, it's wild. Yes, <laughs> uh, definitely. Thank you for your email, Scott. And uh, we apologize it took us so long, but that's uh, kind of the way we uh, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Another one from Jeremiah. This is a uh, this is one aimed uh, at my uh, solo show that I do bi-weekly. Yep. Uh, he says, Chris, I listened to your Secret Origins podcast today and enjoyed it very much. It was very nice to get to know you a little bit through your personal story. I like when you and Reggie add personal stories to your podcast. They are always very interesting, and I do not feel as they are that they are self-indulgent at all. Bless you for saying that because I, I feel I feel like that. I know both, both of us feel that. that's why we almost never interject that kind of thing. But yes. sometimes yeah. we feel like we're taking over and making it all we, about us. We just want to give you the facts, you know. That's all we're here yes. for. <laughs> he continues. Uh, I also like the comic subject of this episode, and that was Secret Origins number one uh, post crisis. Uh, he says I like the Secret Origins series and usually pull issues when I find them in dollar bins. 
It's not something I feel like I need to get every issue of, but they're usually a fun read when I get them. I look forward to future episodes of this podcast. He continues, finally, I am wondering if you were able, if you're able, you might, no, if you might be able to help me with something. Back in 1985-86, Marvel released a huge poster that featured most of the Marvel characters all on one poster. The poster itself was from the Handbook of the Marvel Universe covers stitched together to form one picture. It was awesome. Marvel ran a contest where the poster was featured in a house ad and readers were challenged to name as many characters as they could and submit that list for a chance to win. I'm looking for a scan of that house ad. Do you remember that poster and or contest? Do you have any comics with the ad in it? If you do, could you take a photo of it and send it to me? I Or let me know what comic you found it, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, right now, uh, all of my Marvel stuff is under all of my DC stuff because of the blog. Because <laughs> I need to be able to access the DC stuff. But, you, uh, you need to start a Marvel blog is what you need to do. That's how you do <laughs> That's how we'll find it. But uh, we, we, do have a, we do have a special little project between us in the works where we're uh, cataloging things. So I will be getting to my Marvel boxes right. very, very soon. And I will, uh, I will take special make special effort to look for this. Uh, if any listeners know what it is, definitely, uh, you know, give us a hand. Yeah. Let us know if you, if you can get to it sooner. If you, if your comics absolutely. are not covered by other comics, then uh, you can maybe <laughs> grab. It. I actually don't remember this ad. Maybe if I saw it, it would jog my memory. I'm but, sure. I'm but sure. When, when I when I read this, uh, all I could think of was that DC all the characters poster that came out. I think it must have come out with the who's who stuff or something like that. But Maybe. they had a giant poster. I remember it had Colossal Boy was the biggest thing in the poster. He's like standing in the yes. background. Now, um, first thing I thought of was that Art Adams uh, X-Men poster I, uh, where it had all the X-Men of all the ages there. But uh, it's it's not that. I'm no, sure. uh, it's like I, there's something itching in my mind, but I can't remember it. Uh, and I don't have any... Uh, Intact Marvel singles to look at for that hmm. kind of thing. So, uh, hopefully, someone can help Jeremiah out. But thank you very much for writing, as always. Uh, we have a letter by Alan, who is demonic llama at Gmail. He says, "Chris and Reggie, I only recent recently started listening to podcasts, and I have to say, your Cosmic Treadmill and Weird Comics History podcasts are my very favorite. I love reliving the old events and comics by hearing the history behind them. What? Why was this event written? Why did they kill that character? Etc." The fun behind-the-scenes stuff. My requests might be a bit outside the umbrella of Cosmic Treadmill. They're all pretty recent, and I'm sorry it's such a long list, but he wanted us to cover the New 52. Why relaunch? Why it was Why was it so all over the place, and why so many creators left DC during this time? So many new ideas, plot threads randomly dropped, felt like lost in comic form. <laughs> also wanted to cover Blackest Night. Uh, he just loved Jeff John's take on the GL history, with the spectrum of emotion, etc. He also wanted us to take a look at Final Crisis and maybe even Countdown to Final Crisis. He says the whole meta nature of the event, uh, the monitors, are probes investigating the universe, which is a story or, or something. Uh, and Final Crisis is one that we've kind of we've kind of been juggling it. Yeah, uh, we've it's, bobbled it's, it around. We've got a couple of requests for it, and it's. You know, it's going to be a big one, folks. If this is, it's it, going to be really big. It's definitely going to be even, a multi-episode uh, affair. Oh, it'll yeah. be it'll be like a month of episodes because uh, even the the annotations is longer than the book. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's going to be a biggie, and we, we will get to it. Frankly, I think, we, <laughs> but, I think we could probably do all of Countdown in one episode, just kind of bang it out. You know, just we, so. can, we can do Countdown in a segment. <laughs> <laughs> he also is thinking about Identity Crisis, which is another fun one to talk about. It is, it's yeah. uh, 
semi-topical with uh, Heroes in Crisis being more of a personal crisis like that one. Sure, so that yeah. might be a good one. Yeah. Uh, Seven Soldiers, which is, uh, he says, one of his favorite series. And uh, Seven Soldiers is, what was that? It's like seven miniseries yeah, and a couple yeah, of I, I, I assume he's talking about the Grant Morrison the one. Grant Morrison, it was, yeah. It was seven miniseries that acted independently, but at the end they all kind of interwove. fed into one over story. It was very... Really cleverly done, and to be honest, uh, I'm thinking now, how would what would be the best way for us to? It's tell funny, it? you know they, what I mean? They, they actually, they released two different versions of the trade. I think one yeah. was just the four issues in a row for each one, and then the other one was actually kind of timeline based. It was chronological, where you might get like Zatanna was it Zatanna number two followed by Manhattan Guardian number three, right? And then Bulleteer number one. I mean, it was all weird, That's, but uh, which is the way it was meant. To, it was meant to be. It was like all be the, read, you yeah. read all the ones, all the twos, and I think that I think there's a two volume set, and there's a four, and I think the two volume is linear. It's chronologically okay. correct, whereas the four volume is, you know, just, just the, just the issues packed together. Uh, yeah. So. I would say I, that is one of my favorite series too. I'd love to do it, but that's we're gonna have to have a think of the best way to present that kind of material. to present it. Yeah, for sure. And he wraps up his email saying, uh, "Thank you for your consideration and keep doing what you're doing." Best, Alan. And uh, thank you so much, Alan. That was a that was a super email. I I, I love the uh, I love the mentions, and I and I'm so happy that you discovered podcast and uh, that you're you're digging what we're doing. Yeah, that, I I love to hear it. I'm glad people are. Enjoying it and getting uh, their comics news. Also, I just want to say quickly about New 52. Uh, I think more time needs to elapse for us to really talk about one. Uh, because, yeah, they, they, we have too many feelings stuck in it. It's a fascinating story. Uh, it is. It is. And definitely, I don't think the, sc- the scabs have, uh, have, have full. Uh, have I don't not, think the wounds have scabbed yet. Exactly, yeah. yeah. We're, we're still dealing with even some of the fallout from that. So that's something, you know, it's definitely, you know, in our wheelhouse, but. Probably going to be a little I, while before we get to that. Yes, like a little special episode. I was I was considering that I've got kind of in the works is just a, a looking through the uh, the original solicit, like the big announcement with uh, where they announced the fifty two new titles. Sure. Uh, just to, just to like kind of gauge where we were <laughs> when we saw that you know they're putting out an OMAC book right. and a Voodoo book. What? I think, war, I think war titles be, are coming back. Like that's what yes. freaked me out. I was like, what is going on? I think that might be fun to investigate. But as for the whole New Fifty Two and the the politics and all that stuff, that might take a little bit of time. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's going to be a while. Maybe, you know, we, maybe we'll go in and do an issue though, and we can just talk maybe about a smaller part of it. But could be. Uh, that will be for the future, and probably would go into the next year because we have things backed up but uh thanks very much alan uh another one from jeremiah he writes this one is about my bi-weekly podcast uh that switches wednesdays with chris uh he writes reggie i listened to episode one of reggie's comic stories and i really enjoyed it i think the premise of your show is really interesting i like the idea of hearing bits of comic history that were either things that didn't make the cosmic treadmill or deserve a little more attention etc I also thought you picked a great topic in Superman and Mort Weisinger for your first episode. It was a great interview. I particularly thought his opinions and artists who did the whole thing, writing pencils, inks, and colors, versus those who just do pencils and then someone else does the inks and colors, was fascinating. Hope that in future episodes you might occasionally touch on some underground comic history. I'm sure there are all kinds of things that you could talk about that the history of underground comics or American Splendor episodes were not able to cover. 
I'm looking forward to future episodes of your podcast and Chris's Chris is on Infinite Earths and we have more coming and we can't thank you enough. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think for both of us, the formatting of them might change a little bit over time. They are brand new, yeah. but uh, yeah, we, we we're digging them. So uh, we're glad other people are enjoying them too. Absolutely. And our final email comes from Billy Dunleavy at Billy D underscore Licious on Twitter. He says, hey, guys, I just wanted to get in touch and let you know how much I'm enjoying the show. I had a blast listening to your spotlight on the Age of Apocalypse. I haven't read it in quite some time, but after listening to you guys, it sounds like it still holds up pretty good. I think it was a bold move on Marvel's behalf to try something like that, especially given the times. Hearing both of you going from southern accents to Cajun to the macho man, so funny, was hilarious. Uh, Great personal touch to the show that is greatly appreciated, as it is entertaining to say the least. Keep up the good work, and I'm going to search through my boxes to find something obscure to recommend for you guys to discuss. Cheers, Billy. That is excellent. You know, it's we got a lot of feedback on the Age of Apocalypse. Yes. Didn't we? Like, so many people, it was very personal to them, and it was like... It, it, it came at just the right time, I think, and so many folks of, you know, of our generation, I think mm-hmm. it was a real, real touchstone event. Before the jadedness, where... the cynicism, <laughs> right? That was yeah. what it was. Before we were too cool for it, yeah. Right. Uh, also, you know, obviously, Billy and everybody, we love to get your suggestions. We do have a ever-populating list, but I just want to say you don't need to stump us with obscure books. What we really love are uh, the books that are most meaningful to you. You have a personal connection with, yeah. Yeah, that's the, we, those are the those are the ones we really like. And if you can tell us what the connection is, that will even be better. And we hope to, you know, bring those. You know, expose those books more. But whatever, whatever you want to suggest is great. Also, uh, that's awesome. And thanks everyone for writing in. And uh, we're sorry we don't get to the mail in a very timely fashion. I wanted to tell one funny story, Chris, like that mm. uh, Nintendo one. That was the first one after Age of Apocalypse. Remember? Yes. And uh, we, the plan was we were going to handle mail in that episode, <laughs> uh, but I ended up just going ham on this script. I don't know what was wrong with me. I went berserk on the script to the point while we were recording, I had to dump like a third of it. I was like, what am yes. I, what was I doing here? If you, if you, that episode's over two hours long. Uh, yep. This is, this is the problem with sometimes there's such a thing as too much free time. Uh, so we, we did mail the next episode, so we didn't, we didn't hold off since then. That would have been like sure. eight weeks ago, but uh, yeah, this, this is the behind the scenes things that we deal with uh, over here at, Cosmic Treadmill Studios. Uh, (laughs) If you want to write to us and uh, eventually get read on the air or (laughs) recommend a book or you want to tell us about ICP or Backyard Wrestling or anything we mentioned in the episode. That's that's the book we did today, huh? That's right. I know. It feels feels like it was a week ago. (laughs) Oh, it's been a long, it's been a long day, folks, recording. Uh, You can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com and we do have a Patreon if you like what we do. And you want to contribute a couple of bucks? Head on over to Patreon.com/slash Chris and Reggie. Uh, Chris and Reggie's one word. Uh, we do have uh, private Patreon stuff coming up mm-hmm. uh, today, as a matter of fact, uh, the day we're recording. But uh, you know, whatever. If you if you think you could uh, spare a couple, we would appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Cosmic Email History, and you can also. Insta us on Instagram at a Cosmic T-Mail. And it's the same thing over at Twitter at Cosmic T-Mail. I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. 
I'm at Ace Comics. You can check out our weekly writings on current DC Comics and uh, Reggie's Lois and uh, DC Comics Presents. Uh, is DC Comics Presents, right? Yeah. That's yep. the book. Yeah. Reviews on uh, weirdsciencedccomics.com. And you can check out Chris's daily writings, of which he just hit today on the same day of recording. 1,000 daily consecutive posts, folks. Woo-hoo! You should be clapping. There should be confetti popping off right now. <laughs> uh, that's over at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com, where he reviews a different DC comic every day of the week. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to reveal what you... Uh, you'll have to go to see what he revealed, what he reviewed for his <laughs> thousandth post, but I loved his 999th. It was the Plastic Man reboot. Yeah, and it, and it was it was, 70s, yep. it was just it was just a strange, I don't know, just like plop that in there, and then that's that's how it is. Over sometimes you'll have like two weeks of a theme, and yep. then Lady Cop, then so Lady Cop, that's or what a it wild is. storm or you something. Know, you yeah. really never know, so you got to go check it out. Chris is on InfiniteEarth.com. New post every day, mm, probably up to a million words by now. <laughs> Now, uh, you can check out the show blog, weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, which uh, recently got a facelift, so it's uh, it's a lot easier to read, and when you scroll down, it doesn't have that giant, ugly bar on it. It doesn't chase you as you go down the page. <laughs> That's the word. Uh, it, it may have some uh, changes in the coming in the future, but now everything is up front. Absolutely, and uh, you, there you can find all of our show notes, our links, our images, also chronological listings of all of our programming. Uh, and all, we, before we go, we definitely want to thank Toby Hagen again for his suggestion. Absolutely. Uh, this is one uh, we would not have read on our own. So yeah. uh, those are those are the ones we we like because, <laughs> because yeah, oh, uh, absolutely, yeah, I would never and, have heard and this. this and and uh, Toby is is a big fan of ICP, so this is a, a, a I don't I don't want to say personal book to him, but it is important to him. So uh, that makes it even more even more better. Yeah, yes, very good. Yeah, just <laughs> just like your grasp of the English language is so good. <laughs> it's the goodest you got. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, that's what we like to do, and we do. There are more insane clown posse comics, not a ton more. There are more, hmm. and we will cover them. A handful. Yep. Uh, going into the future, but. I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? That'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill. Wicked clown style. See ya. Oh, my God, look good, chicken. Keep your money. Here's a ticket. Hold up, keep your kids out here. They too young to play in there. Step right up, now strap them in. Lock it tight under his chin. Cramp his arms up to his side. It's going to be a hell. Tilt your whirly spin. Hey.